0: Hello, welcome. Uh, so ex- excited to be joined today by Durga Leela, who is the founder of Yoga of Recovery, a comprehensive program that integrates Ayurveda and yoga with recovery tools for a holistic mind, body, and spiritual approach for all those affected by addiction and self destructive behaviors. So, Durga, thank you for, for joining, being here today with us.
1: Yeah, I'm really happy to be with you, Abby. Thanks for asking me.
0: Yeah. So how, how did you become involved um, in this field? Why, why was this kind of your chosen passion?
1: Oh, um, I was just reading an article that in the UK, they're setting up organizations of people that we call polls, which is person of life experience. So I'm definitely a pole in the addiction world because I was raised with my mother who suffered from alcoholism and then I myself became alcoholic and it was in looking for my own path to wellness and healing that brought me to yoga and Ayurveda, especially Ayurveda. I was already a yoga practitioner and um, so, you know, they say you teach what you need to learn and that's Mm. pretty much been my life. And I had a very um, moving kind of spiritual shift back in 2001 when I was I was really praying for dharma. What was I supposed to do? Having bailed from my um, job in London and went to Lake Tahoe and took a year off. But in the year off, I got sober. So then I extended a year, and I was you know, I'm a doer, so I was interested in what I was supposed to be doing. So praying for Dharma, and then I heard someone give a talk on Ayurveda at the um, ashram in California, the Shivananda ashram, and it just absolutely made sense to me that here was a medicine system that I really needed to get to know about because it was a life science, and I had proven to myself that I wasn't so good at the life balance. I was pretty good at corporate jobs and getting promoted and passing exams and things, but my emotional life and my um, health and balance, I wasn't so good at. So I remember announcing to a friend that um, I was going to study Ayurveda and he said, how are you going to make a living doing that? And my immediate answer was, I don't know how I'm going to make a living, but I know my living will be improved And that is really what I needed. Like that's the sort of medicine and guidance that I needed, how to improve my daily lived experience of life. So yeah, I'm a whole person of lived experience with the addiction Mm -hmm. problem.
0: So this improving uh, my daily experience of life, does that also relate to what you just mentioned about balance? There seems to be this tendency that you know, I'm very good at a few things, I'm comfortable in a few areas, and then in other areas, I'm not comfortable at all. Uh, I'm really not good at that. Mm-hmm. So do these two concepts kind of um, a healthy day-to-day life and a life of balance, are they connected?
1: Yeah, yeah, I do believe so. So a healthy day-to-day life is really built up on simple habits and like daily routines, that might be something that we maybe don't feel so interested in because, you know, in our more rajasic state of mind, you know, where we're looking for the fun and the pleasure and the sense gratification, we want different all the time. Um, for me, overall, what I mean by that was in recovery, I was coming to a, a certain sense of balance, but... Um, I needed something that just gave me guidance on daily things that I experienced that I wouldn't diagnose them as major diseases. So I wouldn't want to go and see a doctor about these things. They were just niggly little concerns that would pop up every couple of days or every week or, you know, every month. And that's what I needed help with. Um, and I found that when I went to the doctor, which I did a lot when I was a practicing alcoholic, but mostly just to get a note to say why I couldn't be at work today. <laughs> so like <laughs> when, when I actually needed help to, I'd like to show up today in my life, I needed something that was much more practical, much more, um, again, like a lived experience of how do you do well in this life? So for me, that the balance is, Really around, in Ayurveda, they have three pillars of life, sleep, energy, and digestion. And if I can manage those three, I have a much more um, good chance of having a balanced life. So that, that's what really helped me about the life science medical system rather than a disease-based medical model. Does that make sense?
0: Say that one more time. So a life science system as opposed to a a disease model.
1: Medical model. So the Western model is a disease-based medicine model. So it treats diseases. So if I go to the doctor's office without a disease, what is there to treat? Whereas Ayurveda is the life science. So it's a person-centered planetary medicine. Based in nature, you know the elements, um, the idea of microcosm and macrocosm. So it's a system of balance. So finding a balance for me, um, like in the fall season where we're moving into, or the winter season, or the summer season, like me balanced to my environment. Uh, balanced to my own internal environment too because we're not all having the exact same experience because we are actually different um, constitutional makeup inside of us and that really helped me a lot too I I think I suffered with the one size fits all idea you know that your experience is my experience really it wasn't and so Hearing in the constitutional um, description, I immediately recognized it and I really resonated with it. And I resonated with it from like a kind of difficult perspective because I found my own nature difficult and then therefore I found people around me quite difficult to deal with. And mm-hmm. we, we have a phrase in recovery that says principles before personalities. So as soon as I heard the constitutional description, I thought, oh, okay, so I can view people as just here's a fire type of character and they have a certain way about them and I don't need to take it personally. You know, if someone's telling me what to do and pointing a finger in my face, I don't need to get all upset about that. I can just observe that, like, there's the fire energy and maybe it could be more balanced, but it's not currently and let it go. Like, that was a big help for me.
0: Yeah. I'm very interested in this, that kind of this idea that to, to maybe not take things as personally, right. Or, or even I would say uh, to maybe move away from judging uh, other people and situations and taking my opinion so seriously, it's like that I can move through my day and I'm just, I'm assessing everything. I like that person. I don't like that person. I like this. I don't like this. So why, why do we do that? <laughs> it's like, why is it so common to do that?
1: I think if, if, if I was to say anything in our world, I think it's a kind of shaky sense of self, you know, I mean, it, often in yoga recovery, when we're teaching, we go right back to the clashes. So because of my forgetfulness, my ignorance of my true nature, like the spiritual aspect of myself i then overly identify with my mind body but i know it's a finite affair so that's a little bit um unsettling to start with and then i really attach into my likes and dislikes and then on top of that we are we are a country that is um made to specify what we like and what we don't like you know, that makes us a certain individual, a certain character. Um, I, I, I have a lot of um, thoughts about that. And I watched a TED Talk where um, her name was Sheila Iyengar and she was going through like how people are marketed to. And she talked about many things. But one of the things that I liked was that she was doing interviews in Eastern Europe. And when people would come in, she would offer them a drink. And she would tell them that she had um, four different sodas and hardly anybody took a drink in Eastern Europe. And she then asked them like, don't, what's wrong? And they said, well, you have no choice. And she said, well, I've got four different, you know, sodas. She was thinking it was four choices. And they said, no, actually it's just one. You are only offering me soda. So Mm. like we are trained to like Coke or Pepsi is there that much difference between sugar water? Is there really? But you know, you could define <laughs> you could define your personality on that. Certainly, if you want to advertise it, you could be made millions of dollars that you you'd be the Pepsi person, not the Coca Cola person. I mean, it's a little kind of outrageous, um, but that's we're trained into it. Like. Are, you know, when I was younger, do, do you wear Nike or do you wear Reebok or Adidas that made you a certain type of person? Well, it's all it's all like a casual shoe. Like, who cares? But again, our sense of identity has been externalized and branded. So it's kind of interesting that we're, we're struggling to belong in a branded consumer society.
0: And do you feel that this that there's a connection between what you're what you're talking about and addiction forming ad- addictive behavior?
1: Yeah, I do most definitely. I mean, most most people understand that addiction is, you know, the most famous quote at the moment. I would say is the opposite of addiction is not sobriety; it's connection, hmm. and so it's that it's that sense of belonging that we're all looking for, and then we feel we belong when we like partake in certain products or behaviours. And then some of us maybe biochemically have a a weakness towards some of those substances. Um, Maybe it's because of our emotional state that we aren't making good connections and so therefore we over-rely on the feeling that uh, a drug or a chemical or a behaviour gives us. So I think it has a lot to do with our sense of belonging. And we, we talk about that a lot in Yoga of Recovery, how much, you know, the, the first word of the 12 steps is we, and we, we place a great deal of importance on that word, we. So we need to come together and be able to find the similarities, not the differences, and then, you know, form cohesive, and um, caring groups to get us out of the trouble that we're in.
0: Mm. Let me try to break this down a little bit for my understanding. Mm-hmm. So, as a result from perhaps my lack of security in myself, my own being,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, and perhaps a, a constant assessment of am I good, am I bad, am I impressive, and am, am, am I not impressive? Like that. Perhaps that's the internal dialogue, you know, happening inside, you know, many of us. Mm-hmm therefore then, okay, I want to be good. I want to be impressive. And I find that when I, you know, ingest a certain substance, I'm better. I'm more impressive in that state. So because of that, because I've come to that conclusion, now I'm going to chase after that way of being, which is associated with this other substance. Um, and, and therefore, um, I, I like that. I have a preference for that over maybe, you know, uh, more of a sober state or a state without that, that substance. Um, and just after a long period of time of, of doing that, then the addiction continues to form. Is, is that how you would describe it or, or perhaps differently?
1: Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's a way you can describe it. So let me say that um, there's a lot of people believed that addicts were always seeking the high, like Mm. the hedonic states, you know, um, but more recently people are beginning to understand what they're doing is trying to avoid pain. Mm. So there is some level of pain and that's what they're looking to get away from. And so the, the idea of pain is that that's a big subject but the, in yoga recovery, especially because we reframe the addiction problem from the Vedic perspective, then the ultimate pain is the pain of separation. So it's like the pain of separation from your true essential self, which the yogis describe as this bliss nature. So when you're not in that bliss nature, your seeking is for something that brings you closer to that bliss. And of course, it's a normal pitfall to think it's outside of yourself. And for us, what we say then is that there there are definite experiences and substances that give a lot of pleasure and stimulation. But the only thing is, is that they are so transitory, so that we become increasingly desperate to re-catch that feeling that that thing gave us, which means that you're on that continuum of use to you know, abuse to dependence and addiction. And then you're getting increasingly unhappier, which is really it kind of a great depth shows you that you're in the wrong field, like you're looking in the wrong place for your answer because the more you get of this thing, the more miserable you become. So it's it's illusory, yeah. And so it's like the search for the Holy Grail. You have to turn your attention within. And of course, you will be in the world, but you, you, you are dependent on things in the world, but you won't be dependent for that ultimate sense of self or belonging on the things external to you once you embark on a path of recovery, mm. which is nothing more than just um, a spiritual path, really, because it's the ultimate spiritual teacher, there's there's a man in the field, uh, and I love his expression that he says, mm, addiction in our society is at the level of a spiritual emergency, and then that is alarming, but actually what it's providing is a spiritual emergence of the people, so that you, you get to a state of such darkness and despair, but something happens that turns you to face towards where the truth is, and the truth is... You know, in the spiritual path, the truth is within, it is our very nature. So it's amazing how close you get to the truth of the Vedanta when there's nowhere else to go.
0: Yeah. And considering um, what we were talking about uh, in terms of, uh, you know, judgment and, and assessment too, this seems like a great example of of why why maybe I shouldn't do that because I don't know, right? Because it seems like a bad idea to kind of go deep into this darkness of a very difficult place to be. I wouldn't want to do that. At the same time, there's so many examples, right? And what you're saying too is like the opportunity that comes out of suffering, you know, comes out of being in this uh, dark place that the the reemergence in a way could only happen if I went through that struggle, uh, so that 's why maybe it's important just just not to know because it's beyond my understanding
1: yeah yeah i mean i do I do feel like that I mean I was thinking about that a lot recently because I was raised in a home that had um alcoholism, and so as a young child um I could see that this wasn't that wasn't right. I mean, I know that at my core, just from a feeling state. And um, so then I, I kind of ramp up and warp my own personality to deal with it. And um, I was, I, w- I come across, I'm not always sure how to say his name, but he's a beautiful writer, ta Coates. And he uses this phrase, velocity of escape. And so I was, I, I saw that phrase and I really understood that to me, alcohol acted as like my rocket fuel to get me out from that situation. But unfortunately, what I did was I got out from that situation and then I followed the society's ideas of what was going to make me whole and complete, which was, you know, be a good girl, do your exams, get your degree, get a good job, get a good partner and, And I did those things, and none of those things, like I would say, filled the hole in my soul. Mm. And so then that's troubling because I'm doing everything right. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, and yet I'm feeling more and more hollow, more and more like – I'm I'm not going to say desperate, but really um, doubtful that I'm ever going to reach happiness because as soon as I get something, it's like that, done. Like it's, it's amusing or entertaining for a day or something, and then it's quickly forgotten. So the, the idea is that somehow that painfulness of the, um, the lack of fulfillment or connection, but we, we've tripped on to keeping going back to the same old and there's an expression in recovery that says insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. And that begins to look like it it's what we do in addiction. But if you really look at a lot of people's lives, it's what people do. You know, keep doing the next thing, and that's going to make you happy, and that's going to make you happy. And then that darkness is like, wait a minute, it's not. You know, that's not making me happy.
0: Well, my, my question too is – I don't know if it's it's doing the same thing because I think it's going to make me happy. Maybe it's just doing the same thing because that's what I know how to do. Like that's just mm-hmm. what's comfortable for me. Right? Mm-hmm. It seems like so change in itself is 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 perhaps the the focus, right? It's like how can I be brave enough to change because change is scary. It's like, I don't know this, right? Often I'll take the known world, even if it's, it causes a lot of suffering, uh, rather than the unknown simply because it's unknown.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of the recovery books are actually called courage to change. And, you know, this, this is a phrase that I heard early on, and it's something that really, really helped me a great deal. And, and it's a phrase that they use to try and help us along with this very point that um, fear is not, and, sorry, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is doing things in spite of the fear that we feel. And that was like a major key in the door for me, because I actually thought you had to get beyond feeling. And I see that actually in quite a lot of people. like They think they're going to get beyond the feeling state so that they won't have to feel pain or hurt or sadness. But that's like that bipolar living. I'm going to get over here and be happy, comfortable, okay with things. And I'm never going to have to visit here. And You know, the reason that I resonates so much with the yogic and ayurvedic medicine system is that it says in this realm that we live in this physical reality we work from pairs of opposites so every time there's hot there will be cold like co-arising when there's pleasure there's pain you know it's only a matter of time or perspective you know like when you're in pleasure or when you're in pain and so then there's equanimity so there's that way to be able to shift your perceptual process to not get overly attached to the pleasure and then always have to be running away from the pain, which again, isn't just ragadoesha. If you're always after pleasure, you're running after pleasure, then you don't want to experience pain. So you're running away from pain. So in yoga recovery, we say, what's the common denominator is you running all the time, Mm. which is sort of exhausting you know, like always running, running away from pain, running towards pleasure, but you only have so much life force energy and remembering, and it is it is deep stuff, but just go back to the fact that the, the ego is the false illusory self anyway, and all the, the, the changing nature is that all those pleasures and pains are transient, but the mind fixates on it, so it's almost like your constant companion that... The looking forward to something.
0: Yeah, this is the change, I think. Yeah. The really, this is talking about really the core of of what the shift is, right? Mm-hmm. Running for so long, I don't know how to not run after things, right? Like that's such a different way of being after so many years of running after different things in order to to get this or that. How do mm-hmm. I exist without yeah. running?
1: Yeah, yeah. I totally hear you. And there was, I was just, um, I was just bringing up something. Um, I'll read it to you because it's, to me, it's just, it's perfect and it says it all for me. And it's the nature of the mind. So it's, this is from the Tao of And Christopher Robin asks Pooh, what do you like be- doing best in the world, Pooh? Well said, Pooh. Well, I like best. And then he had to stop and think because although eating honey was a very good thing to do, there was a moment just before you began to eat it, which was better than when you were, but he didn't know what it was called. So the the author makes the point, the honey doesn't taste so good once it is being eaten, the goal doesn't mean so much once it is reached, the reward is not so rewarding once it has been given. And what yoga is talking about there, like that story tells it, is the rajas of the mind. So the rajas principle of yoga in the three triguna aspect is that there is an aspect of the mind that projects out into the world and it exaggerates the effects or the attributes or the qualities of things in the world. And that's the chemical high. It's not actually the thing itself. It's the power of the mind that gives that high because it's just the thinking process. So the Dalai Lama calls it inappropriate mentation process where you assign far greater significance to things in the external world than they actually can deliver. So it's a function of your own mind, Mm. which I just love that because it is illusory and who's causing my own problems? Me. And it's because, you know, I think whatever chocolate or um, sex with someone is going to be the be all and end all. But actually it's, it's the process of me thinking that provides most of the pleasure. Um, And they've done, they've done reports on this studies on it. Now, like there's one where they take people out shoe shopping, people who love to shop for shoes and they monitor their dopamine. And so their dopamine is rising when they get told, this is what we're going to do today and we're going to go to this place and we're all going to go together. And when they're in the shoe store, the dopamine levels are staying high. And as soon as they hand the credit card over, the dopamine crashes. Mm. So what is that about? Because didn't you want the shoes? So somehow it's actually you want the experience. Like you, It's like the, the point of seeking Mm-hmm. there's something in that the seeking itself and so that's i think that's why the whole bag of says take your action but don't let you know let go of the results because the results are the crashing part <laughs> you know like and they're not yours to decide but of course the rajas of the mind again a recovery statement is uh a resentment is a pre sorry, an expectation is a premeditated resentment.
0: Mm.
1: So like when I think you're gonna do something for me or give me something, and then you don't, then I crash down. But it was never real in the first place. I just made it up in my own head.
0: Yeah, I think this relates too, to to you know our childhood in a lot of ways, um, because we're not trained to basically not have expectations or deal with expectations. Like, it's the exact opposite. We, you know, even at, on a deeper level, like we we expect a certain amount of time here, right? Many of us expect to find a partner, to have a family, to have this and that. And I, mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's in alignment with nature. Like nature <laughs> doesn't, you know, make a contract with us and say, you know, you you're gonna live for this long. or or whatnot. It's just not how it operates. And perhaps that's like the disservice that like, we're in a way, you know, teaching children to expect some, the unreal, unrealistic um, Mm -hmm. from life. So we have to now retrain ourselves to deal with expectations um, and find a different way to live
1: yeah it's so true and and this is a piece that really interests me now, especially in the situation that we are in twenty years into the twenty first century you know and like the when you think of the nineteen twenties and now we're in the twenty twenties and they were they called it the roaring twenties and certainly these twenties have arrived in roaring, and I think you know they're they're calling us to really into the path that yoga offers us, which is to like transcend a level of consciousness that we've been living at. And, you know, it's a lot of conditioned consciousness, but it's it's a lot of coming from that subconscious mind where there is the herd instinct, there's the emotions, like just basically the animal nature. And back a hundred years ago, that animal nature, it kind of needed a lot more care because you were... Uh, in scarcity a lot around, you know, food, shelter, housing and stuff. And what we've done 100 years later, it looks like to me, is we still run that animal instinct, but now we run it on luxuries. So it's not the basic needs, it's the basic greeds, you know. And we haven't noticed that the more we get, we're not becoming that much happier because we're stuck in that subconscious mind. So somehow you have to elevate that expectation up to a different level of living, which is, I mean, there's, there's certain things that I've learned that like in a 12 step program, for instance, they, they, they run on the principle of no leaders, no dues, no fees, stuff like that. Yeah. So they will take money from people to like pay the rent They're allowed to hold a prudent reserve, which means they can pay their rent for the next three months or six months. And then they're done. They don't have bank accounts. They don't have savings. They survive because it's a spiritual truth. And as long as people show up, then the thing is going. You know, it's a one day at a time deal. So there's something about the prudent reserve, like thinking of living on a prudent reserve, how much energy would that free up for your life? Mm. Because so many people are living in a future Mm. that, you know, Dave Matthews, the singer, says, the future is no place to place your better days. It's one of my Mm. favorite lines because, like, why are you living today, sacrificing the joy of today for a better future? Like, just live today and live it well. So there's, like, such a depth of wisdom in their idea about time. And that was another thing that I loved about Ayurveda because in the threefold cause of disease, they say, you're going you're gonna to get sick because you misuse your senses running after your pleasure. Then you're also going to have this problem with your intellect, they say, which is just the discriminating mind will fail you it, with the force of this sense, um, raga that you have, the passion to pursue pleasure through your senses that will actually diminish your capacity to reason. And then it says, and the effects of that over time is going to make that disease even worse. So I, I really appreciate the time factor in the threefold cause of disease that Ayurveda talks about because I had, a, I had a time factor to my perceptual process ever since I was a kid. So when it was heading towards like our holiday was Christmas, I would get overexcited. Everything was going to be great. This was the time where everybody was going to be happy and everybody got what they wanted. And then I'd realize halfway through the day that it was almost over. And I'd start to already get sad that the day was almost over. So I look back at that now and I think, wow, you really had a problem right from like five, six, seven, eight years old with this perceptual process that I was running that Everything had to happen today. This was the only chance of happiness, and I could see that I I actually brought that through a lot into the way I acted out with my addictions. It was like seize the day, you know. Let's live as if it's your last. <laughs> and most of the time, I was lucky; it wasn't my last with my behavior. But here I am, living to tell the tale.
0: Yeah, maybe it's like a natural reaction um, to this idea of like right living into the future. Right, mm-hmm. because it's our system saying, no, 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 no. Like that's that's not that's not the way I want to live. So therefore, like, okay, when I'm using the substance, it's the opposite of that. It's you know, seizing the day and the moment right here. So it's instead of finding the middle ground of a balance, it's it's going from one side to the other. One is a way where I'm just totally living for tomorrow. The other one is I'm being super extreme about this moment I'm in. Yeah.
1: yeah. And you know, like the, the, there is that idea of like, like the little ego out of control. It just, it seizes on any chance it gets to like um, inflate itself. You know, like I'm the one, I'm the one with the power. But like, there's that part of you that knows You're, it's not. The knowing is there. And to me, that's always interesting because it's the knowing that creates the suffering of addiction. Because I don't think you could suffer if you didn't have the knowingness. You could just blast it out, get as high as you possibly could and then die. Who would care? You know what I mean? That If you didn't have that consciousness going, Mm-mm, nope, wrong way, don't do that, stop, please. You know that, that inner guidance voice is always there. So when it comes to the Ayurveda cause of disease, and they call it crimes against wisdom. And again, that was so beautiful for me because... Like I was in a 12 step program and it has like a lot of great spirituality, but there's quite a lot of the God and like something of a Christian feel to it. So it always felt a, people tend to do it as they speak, like sins against God was what we had done. Like we were bad people. And and I was kind of like not happy with that as an idea. So when I heard Crimes Against Wisdom, that was It was hugely liberating for me because it wasn't your wisdom and it wasn't the priest's wisdom and it wasn't the government's wisdom. It was my own wisdom and I was the criminal. And I love that because I identify quite strongly with the criminal (laughs) behaviour. But it's not like it's not the outer laws, which a lot of them just don't make sense. When you look at our drug laws, like how does that make any sense? But it's the crimes against the wisdom that is living me. That's liberating.
0: I love that so much. Yeah. Crimes Mm -hmm. against wisdom because, you know, we know our hearts know, and that's enough. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't need to, to listen to an external voice that says like, listen to me more than listen to yourself. I don't think that makes sense to me. Yoga is about that tuning in and and, and listening to the, to the heart, the wisdom that's, that's inside. And, and then it makes it really simple. It's like, yeah, when, when I don't do that, that's that, that in a way is a crime because mm-hmm. my wisdom knows better.
1: Yeah. And you know, it's funny because this conversation that we're having, like I've been, I've been thinking a lot recently because I'm not out teaching and training the way I normally am. Um, when I was in early recovery, I remember a guy in the program come up to me and he said, I just want to tell you something that um, you can't eat tomorrow's dinner today. Just know that. And again, it was he must have been hearing me that I was always flipping out in the future. Like what was coming? Was it going to be good enough? Was it going to be, make me secure? But it was always the future. And so I, I it sounds so pithy, but I missed the gift of today because I was always worried about the future. And then, you know, on my fridge at home, I've put up a a magnet that says security is an illusion. Mm. Um, And that security was a little bit of a volatile home life, where I thought, if I can just get my ducks in a row, I'll be okay. I will never have to suffer abandonment or pain again. And so I go against, I go about my life trying to like um, comfort myself and protect myself from harms that I've already felt. And that's, that's not a good way to live. It's not an abundant way to live. And so therefore I'm, I'm restricting my own receipt of the joy of living.
0: Yeah. That, that seems to be very much directed by fear. You know, I'm Mm -hmm. trying to prevent this and that Mm -hmm. from happening and Mm -hmm. you can't, you know, you can't can't predict what's going to happen. You can't prevent everything that's going to happen, right?
1: Yeah, and the, the, the truth is, these things have happened, and I've lived through them. So, like, what's the fear really based on? You know.
0: Right. There's like another trust there. Again, it's like, okay, like, am I afraid to go through a challenge? Or like, haven't I learned so much from the challenges of the past? So isn't it okay if I experience another challenge in the future? I mean, it's hard. It's super hard to open up to that, but it feels real to me and true.
1: Yeah. And and to that, I like, I just in the last couple of years, um, you know, I see some people say sobriety is my superpower and, and I think acceptance is my superpower because whatever it is, if it's presenting in front of me, then if I can move into acceptance of it, then like I'm liberated in that experience. But if I'm in, and Swami Satya Ananda always talks about it, if I've made that expectation and I have an appointment with something that I'm expecting and it doesn't show up, then I'm constantly disappointed. So I'm always in an, a, a, an argument with reality Whereas acceptance is, oh, here's reality, that's mine today, but it won't be tomorrow or the next day. I mean, who could have predicted the way we'd be living in 2020? Exactly. No one predicted it. Well, actually, I mean, I think Dr. Larry Brilliant predicted it. You know, if you, if you look at his work on the um, pandemic stuff, he was kind of warning us um, some time ago that something like this was imminent and what's interesting about that was neem karoli baba and he met and he said you know do some work on this pandemic stuff and he gave him the job of finding the vaccination for smallpox Mm. and he went about and did that but he comes from that team of people that met neem karoli baba like um i think jayu tal and sharon salzberg and Ram Das
0: Krishna Das Dass, yeah.
1: and like they, they were all on the one bus, like what was that bus trip like? How
0: amazing. <laughs> right yeah <laughs> well. mm.
1: so you you never know like your situation is perfect just as it is, which mm. you know it seems a strange thing to say, but you know that the times that we're going through, my friend always says it's not happening to you, it's happening for you, mm. and that's a real tough one to get your head around.
0: Yeah. I mean, back to like the courage or the bravery, I think it takes a lot of it to accept and to, to feel content even to just feel content. I think takes a lot of courage.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it takes you back to a sort of simplicity really, mm. you know, um, like content to be fed, content to be able to take a, like a clear breath, um, Content that there's a certain amount of workability in the body-mind system and then that connection with the things outside. I mean, I'm, I'm here in India and, you know, it's, it's not my normal way of living. Uh, and I step outside and I begin to notice things that I wouldn't have noticed before. And, like, I befriended nature out there. Um, because I'm not so surrounded by like people that I know or a language that I'm familiar with, um, and it, it brings me deeper into like. And I'm, I'm gonna say because I don't want to be like oh like life's a pink cloud. It brings me into an inherent sense of disappointment that verges on depression, and I'm diagnosed as clinically depressed. That's partly what I heal myself from using the path of yoga and Ayurveda, and especially how I set up yoga recovery, that's what I was faced with. Like, um, I was smoking cigarettes. Like, I was diagnosed clinically depressed, so I was offered the pharmaceutical solution. And then I thought, I don't know if I want to go there right now. I want to let me see if I can do a few things to shift. What I found depressing about my own behavior, which is I'm an asthmatic and I smoke 20 cigarettes a day. That's kind of depressing, like to be that dumb like you know and i'm quite intelligent but i was really acting dumb in that addictive way so i needed to sort that out for myself and like that that healing that i needed to do it was the possibility the potential of it was there and then the story that i've lived is also there so like, I, I don't have, like, I often say I'm not the energizer bunny. I'm not like, woo, life is so high. But I have, like, a deep sense of being guided, being connected, being part of something that's much larger than me. And it's, it's like, the mystery of life. And the superficial, like, rah, 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 happiness, um, like, the, the guy that talks about it that I really understand and it's um, positive psychology, Martin Seligman, where he makes he, he makes a, a, a three part like um, I don't know what is split, but not a split, um, a, a three part idea of what happiness is about. And he says some people are happy from like the the pleasant things in life. And then some people are happy when they're in the flow state, like when they've concentrated their mind. And then some people are happy when they, they kind of reach a state of like meaning and purpose. Mm. And like there's, there's those three different states. And so some people you can put in, like we have a, a, an ashram down in the Bahamas and it's next to like a big, you know, five-star resort. And I go over there and it makes me feel a bit crazy like, because it's too full on and you can have anything that you want. And that makes me feel like I don't want any of it. And so that pleasant life has never been a way to fulfill me. And, but then I can recognize very much the flow state. I can remember it from being a child that you would give me something new and I would practice and practice and practice until I get onto a certain level of expertise about it. And then I'd feel good that i would reached a zone with it. So that was something for me. And then this life of meaning and purpose was, that is the, like the, I'm going to say it's like the existential depression, because every time you give me pleasant things and I don't feel really fulfilled by it, I think, isn't there something more? And I don't mean more of this. I mean, something like of more depth and significance. And my word for it is eternal I want something that really lasts, not this here today, gone tomorrow, you know, that, that transient. So, like, I I can look back and see that part of my nature. And I think that's where we get lost, really. If you can't look at, de- at depths in, into that that level of this spirit that's living you, you know, the real. And, like, I like how Frawley calls it, like, the evolutionary pathway of the life, you know, to come out out of the animal subconscious nature and into more consciousness. And then beyond that, to live from intuition, like, to live from the light as such, be more connected to the inherent essential truth of things, and that is the unifying principle across the universe. Because um, I just, I think it's amazing that people can fight the way they fight. And it's like, what? why do you think you're so different? Like your skin's a different color. You think that's so different? Like, you know, why do we think we're so different even from like Svoboda, the Ayurveda teacher points out that I think we're 99% the same as chimpanzees at the DNA level. So why do we think we're so special? Like it's, we're, we're kind of deluded as a race, it seems. So I think there's a great awakening that is, that's the call now. And if you're not willing to get on that trip and transcend, then I think you're just going to be left behind. And what God knows what kind of misery we're going to be living. Um, mm. at the, like the lower nature with everything that's coming with climate change and stuff, it's not going to mm. be pleasant.
0: Well, I I feel very much the same way that the higher nature is related to this understanding of connection between all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and that feels much more sustaining to me in terms of like happiness, right? Like that's something that that's very real, that I'm not in this alone, that there is a, a uniqueness to my being and individuality, but that is not separate from being connected to everyone else.
1: Mm -hmm. And if I'm
0: in it with everyone else, what does that mean? What are the implications for that, that belief? Um, It's a game changer, right? I think in a way we've, we've taken this competition between humans way too seriously and it's just not real. It's not true. You know, Mm -hmm. the, the virus doesn't stop at the border. You know, it doesn't understand that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And on the positive side of that, there's something that makes my heart happy is that um, and it was written by a woman who had travelled the world, and she just points out in their book, and I can't remember her name or the book's name, but she just said, "When you when you're in places where you don't speak the language, so you don't you don't have this intellectual way to speak with somebody because we we both share the common language, then the universal common language is food and music." And I just love that because that's true. Like when you meet people, they want to feed you and they want to feed you what they've created from what they've grown. It's the part of that is our world and this is what we do. And and then they get their music out and they sing. And you know exactly what mood they're singing about without knowing the language. Like the heart knows the song of life. And I, again, I love that's why it's the Bhagavad Gita is called the Bhagavad Gita, like, you know, the song of God. It's just like, yeah, there is harmony. So add your voice to it and sing along. And I think it's interesting because, you know, these days, I, I feel like the, the, the people that contribute to offering the bhakti in our life, they're, they're offering that heart solace that we so need because we're, we had become overly intellectualized, but it's like the intellect is really being used by the emotions and there's a lot of emotional leaders and they're not going to lead us very far because, you know, they're, they're still in that lower nature and they're still able to have us fight against each other from those base instincts, which is territorial survival, procreation, and herd instinct. Like that, we need to rise above that.
0: That's true. But I, I think it's also tricky, right? Because we can actually do the same thing in a way with them that were maybe um Complaining about, we could say, okay, then now we're separating it between us, those who have gone to the higher nature and the lower nature, and maybe they're our enemies, right? So it's like very, mm-hmm. very subtle, right? And we have to, I think, make sure that we're not hypocritical in that way and, and really believing that even if someone has opposing views to myself, that they are still a part of me, they are still my teammate. Um, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Yeah, and I I don't know if you've been hearing the conversation from Charles Eisenstein, who talks about this. And he really asks that we think, what's it like to be that person? Like, where are they feeling this from? And, you know, I think it's a really good thing. And it is towards that, like, I look at our president and I know his um, lineage with his father and his grandfather. And, like, I know his brother pretty much died of alcoholism, is what I understand And so I know the program of 12 Steps called Adult Children of Alcoholics. And he displays a lot of what we call the survival traits of a person that's been raised around that. And I'm healing from that. And I look at him and my heart harps for him because you can see what it looks like when you're not healing from that. And so therefore, like, rather than persecute and make fun of and be critical of people, it it helps to hold them compassionately and really pray that they'll be moved into greater integration and clarity around some of these core issues that we all share. And, you know, harm, harm has been done, um, you know, and hurt people, hurt people. That's what Mm -hmm. happens, you know? So like it it is a call for healing. um, But You know, you said something earlier, which is something that we have to remember that it's not such a struggle to heal. You just kind of have to let go of some things like the false beliefs and the separate self, you know, the idea of like holding it. And if we do it in a whatever way is practical, but I found what's practical for me is um, finding like-minded people in a group and, and working with that group. Maybe that's all I get to do, but it contributes in some way. Like I, I um, come to India and I had found uh, uh, an Ayurvedic community that was being built and I thought they were doing good things. So I became a member of that community. And hence I'm spending time here within this community. And it's, it's a very good setting for me to be in in the times that we're living in, but that was not something that was just, it happened. It was a process that was going on because of how I showed up and mm. who I was seeking out. And so every day is bringing you towards the, the, you know, the experiences you're going to have. And, you know, what made, what made um, sense to me was the way they fed people here. So they, they, you know, they they pay great attention to the food. Um, they even have their own cows and things. And the way they treat the land and the animals, it was all part of a cohesive, like, intention. And so I liked that. And I said, yeah, let me be part of this. Mm. Um, and so it's, it's a grace to find such thing. And then, like, the courage is to step outside of the, like, that... Um, well-worn track that most of us are on looking for that. Um, I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it anymore because I, I I had to bail on it so long ago, but um, you know, the, that sense of security and I'm going to be okay. Mm. Um, and I just looked at, I, I believe in these people and I believe in their, you know, their vision and their mission and I'm going to join. And like, that's, that to me was my courage, but it's, it's a co is a group courage, you know, because I wouldn't be able to join if it wasn't for these brilliant people that think of it and work hard at bringing it together. So yoga recovery, we, we have a retreat that we do in India every year. And a lot of the healing, I think, is around a continuum of care. So I'm talking about Ayurveda, the life science. We often refer to it as the science of self-healing. And that really appealed to me, being able to like, use my own um, efforts to balance myself and live well every day Uh, and but I wasn't able to heal myself entirely so I put myself in the care of these Ayurvedic doctors and their training and their level of um, experience and also just I would say of Sattva, their clarity um, has helped me heal much more than I would be able to do on my own so I think there's that continuum of care that I can do a certain amount myself I can do a certain amount with my community and then I also need to kind of like surrender myself to like a process of deeper healing because there's there's some stuff to be repaired and it's one of the things that really surprised me about medicine um in the west to do with addiction it was the very very little physical care for addiction even although like I've I had drank alcohol I had horrible metabolic disrepair in my system and then you know it struck me one day that I come from a long line of type 1 diabetics and alcoholics so like I had a metabolic system that was kind of precariously set up around the substance of sugar yeah and you know look what we eat in the west sugar and look what the disease is you know diabetes and obesity or diabetes as people call it and people don't recognize that in it as an addiction but i truly think it is you know and again that's for our sense of pleasure look we we can have sweetness we can have all this you know good taste in food but it's kind of like a poison it's the first thing i'd want to do if i was president i'd shut those food stores down start (laughs) start getting real food back in the street you know That'd
0: be a miracle. Durga, uh, it's been so nice uh, speaking with you. Uh, I do want to give you a chance to let people know um, how to contact with you, contact you, and also um, you just finished um, designing a course that I believe is available now. So, any information that you you'd like to share?
1: Oh yeah. Um, so uh, we have just put up the first yoga recovery online course and this is the one specifically Ayurveda for addictions or our addictiveness and it's called yoga recovery between the mat and the meeting and I'm actually it's going to be up there eventually just as a course that you can take at any time but we're going to do a live component piece from the 21st of September but you'll, you'll be able to join for a couple of weeks after that and not miss too much you'll be you'll be able to catch up um, so that is, you can see it on yogaofrecovery.com or you can email me at Durga, D-U-R-G-A for Apple, at yogaofrecovery.com. And I'm stressing of because it's not yoga for recovery, it's yoga of recovery. Um, so I think that, that's it. Uh, it's been a quiet year otherwise, quiet, but, you know, busy I, I still there's still a lot to be done even when I'm not out teaching and training but I'm really looking forward to 12 weeks we're going to do towards taking us into the end of this year of um, a group of people going through these um, Ayurveda pointers and the the bases of Ayurveda to help us understand ourselves and live in balance and live well one day at a time
0: great um again Durga thank you so much i mean i i really feel that the, this work that you're doing you know it, it's it's just incredible you know and and what you said i think very much rings true in terms of you know there's certain amount of healing that we can do ourselves but there's also you know we need support you know and the wisdom of people that have experience with this that have gone through something s- similar to you know just form that connection is so powerful as well so Thank you for, for, for everything that you're doing. Yeah.
1: And I want to say, you know, thank you to Yogaville, especially because both Yogaville and some of the other ashrams in the country, especially Shivananda ashrams, they've always welcomed um, Yoga Recovery in and hosted the retreats and the courses. And we've been doing it for over 15 years now. And in that 15 years, we've created a great sangha of people. So we've got people getting decades of recovery and they're part of like the tribe and they're part of other tribes out there too you know so they they partake in the western medical model or 12 steps or other recovery pathways so we belong to many things all at once Um, and it's but it's been it's been a real um backbone of of my life to be part of the yoga communities and also the recovery community in the yoga fields that there's just there's a lot of really great people that have done their training and you know I was looking today that New Jersey's doing something and of course yoga's on the um the menu so I'm really I'm really grateful to see those people that have healed themselves with the yoga and then they're going out to offer it too so yoga recovery is a part of that story and we're, we're in good company at that level too so thank you abby i enjoy your channel and i enjoy your um probing questions it's great i like the way you think
0: absolutely okay have a great rest of your time in india thanks again derga thank you if you've enjoyed this content and think others might as well please feel free to share and subscribe